Hi, and welcome to the Imperfect Podcast. My name is Deb Crow, and I will be your host. Join me on this journey as we meet heart-centered leaders from all over the globe. Lots of interesting questions, interesting conversation, and find out what makes a leader. How do they handle uncertainty and complexity? How do they lead in a time that is volatile? Join us. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. This is your host, Deb Crow. And another exciting episode coming your way today. I would love to introduce you to Anne Sieg. Again, another shout out to LinkedIn. Anne and I connected on LinkedIn. We had a beautiful conversation and I thought I need to get this heart-centered leader on the show. So let me tell you a little bit about Anne. She's the author of three widely acclaimed books on how to attract customers online. That's generated over $4.2 million in sales in the past 12 years. This is all a result of Anne and her husband losing their auto glass business almost overnight due to a new state law. So we're going to talk to her about that. Anne then took her side hustle business and decided to get busy and double down. And she took her sales from $2,000 a month to 90. Yes, let me repeat that. 2,000 to 90,000 per month in 90 days. It was more than enough to bring her husband home. And then she decided to continue to build and has built an online empire. So Anne, welcome to the show. Great to be here, Deborah. Thanks for having me on. Well, Anne, I know you have quite a story to tell, so I'm going to jump right into my leadership questions because I know there's going to be so many golden nuggets for our listeners. So if you're ready, I'm ready to dig in. I'm totally ready. Now, I know you and your husband, as you've mentioned in our conversation and you eloquently stated in your bio, you literally lost your business overnight. So talk to us about the tenacity and the grit that all entrepreneurs need, but share with our listeners the transition of of losing your business, because there's got to be a level of grief there, and how you were able to transition and pivot and create what you're now basking in success from all the hard work. Well, to clarify, my husband did that work. I did the bookkeeping. I took care of the insurance work, etc. involved with that windshield business. He absolutely loved his business. He's a hands-on guy. He likes having the relationship with his customers and with the dealerships that he had built up over, it was a 12-year span in the Twin City metro area of St. Paul, Minneapolis, Minnesota. And basically, it was a law that rolled out as it was kind of this um, duking it out up at the House of Legislature between the glass industry and the insurance industry. And the insurance industry won out. And basically, it made our cost of advertising very prohibitive. And so all the little guys, basically, here's my metaphor. It was like a shoe coming down, crunching, crunching, 
crunching, crunching out all the mom and pops, including ours. It was actually a two and a half year death spiral, but it was pretty much that that day when that law went into effect that it just became, you know, clinging to the mast, trying to keep it alive. And it finally just was like, and for my husband, it was very hard. I can say he's safe to say he was depressed about it because he loved it so much. What I was doing in the meantime, though, I would say two and a half prior to this 12 year stint of having that business is I was starting to build a kitchen table business, as they say. I had been in direct sales for spanning, all told, it's been over 30 years. But so I was going to start once again building a um, direct sales business. It was actually my eldest son who sponsored me, who was 18 at that time. He had been studying, um, I, I gave him a lot of leeway to grow and build businesses in high school because um, we also had owned real estate investment as well. So we're very, very entrepreneurial. I encouraged my son. He did many businesses in high school. So subsequent to that, we ended up partnering up after, you know, during this death, you know, the death spiral of our business that just, it was excruciating. I mean, it was just got to where we were not making ends meet. But thankfully, my son and I, we then linked arms and we blew it up together. And my husband ended up doing all sorts of odd jobs in that death spiral season. Really, it ended when he had to sell his van. He sold all his equipment and it was like, there, close the books, it's done. And, and that was hard for him to do, but it just came to that. And so my son and I together, we went online um, and that's when everything changed because everything is so much more scalable than in the traditional brick and mortar space. So um, it's all within our family economy, within our family that we were able to make that transition. And so then when my husband was, it was like three different odd jobs. It was, it was pretty crazy. He would work um, about 36 hours between Friday, Saturday and Sunday, two different jobs, two shifts. And one day I, I said, when as he was leaving, I said, I'm going to get you home. I'm going to figure out him and I, I, it brings tears every time I recount that story, but I did. And it is when we went to that $90,000 a month, I said, it's time to come home because you can help make more money here than you are doing that. That's kind of it in a nutshell. Well, and I think it's so powerful because this year's been so tumultuous and, and unknown and, and we're living amongst a time of uncertainty in business. I would love for you to share some advice or a strategy to the listeners. If anyone's thinking about e-commerce and or thinking, well, how can I do an online business? I don't have, I don't have any experience. How can we eliminate some false virtue and what hope or strategy would you provide to someone who might be thinking about doing what you've done? Mm -hmm. Well, I can't encourage it enough. Um, just yesterday, in fact, I got the paper in arms reach, Wall Street Journal, and this is, this is astounding. Um, okay, it says, the pandemic's disruptions have transformed how US consumers behave by accelerating their embrace of digital commerce and the changes are likely to prove permanent according to businesses studying and adapting to the changes. Um, and it's that, here it is, the pandemic collapsed into three months, a process of adopting e-commerce that otherwise would have taken 10 years in the US 
the firm concluded. So 10 years compressed into three months. And that's because we've become habituated into it. And now what do we have at this time of this call? It's all the big clampdown is starting to roll out again. And so it's extremely opportune. So I'm just gonna paint a big picture view because I think in big picture. When you're new, I'm gonna call it naive and unsuspecting. You don't have any point of context. So I wanna zoom out and just provide a point of context. If someone were like, wow, this is awesome news. It looks like there's a lot of opportunity in e-commerce. It's virtually endless. I call it to deep blue oceans and beyond. But you need to have a frame of reference so you don't jump into what I call the deep end of the pool where there is far more risk involved and far more skill sets. And we have taught all the way from a method called arbitrage through Amazon, that is, all the way to having a Shopify store. There's a very extremely wide realm of options that are available. What we like to do after having taught all these all the way sourcing China, private label, wholesale, you name it. We start in the shallow end of the pool for this very purpose is you want to have that risk mitigation as low as possible and your learning curve because there's nothing like having quick success, what I call proof of concept to go, oh, wow, this works. Not, oh, well, let's go build a brand and let's, you know, try to create this massive following. That can take, uh, that can take it. I know what that's like. I used to teach that for a good seven years before I shifted to e-commerce. So we want to get people into the shallow end of the pool. We do that through arbitrage. I'm not going to go all into those details, but it's just a simple model of you're going to buy low and you're going to sell high on Amazon. And there's a number of different ways to do that. Local retail arbitrage, online arbitrage, and book flipping are the three methods that we've taught. But here's more the big business principle takeaway. And we call it the three pillars of e-commerce success. Number one is generate cash flow. We do not want our people relying on their personal funds to fund their business forever and a day. We want to put you into a position of cash flow as fast as humanly possible. So generate cash flow, keep it going. The next one is very critical, and it's automate systems. And the reason you automate systems is you want to free up your time so you're working on the business and not in the business. And the last is to build assets that you can grow and build and sell for a profit or pass on for legacy. So that's the foundation of everything we teach is around those three pillars. But by necessity, we have to land at a methodology, a sourcing method, because in e-commerce, you have to sell something. And that's where people go, yeah, so what am I going to sell? That's where we start with the easiest method possible called arbitrage. So I know that's a lot, a lot of information that I just shared. I did the big picture view, trying to say be very careful as you go out and look for information. You need to know how much risk is involved. And you want to, I believe, if you're just starting, go to the shallow end of the pool. So you have the greatest likelihood for success. Well, and I think what we'll do, Anne, is we can put some information in the podcast episode description because I'm sure this is going to definitely warrant some questions and people will want to talk to you. My, my next question is, what imperfections do you feel you bring to your heart-centered leadership? <laughs> okay. 
Well, I have a very, very strong heart-centered leadership. Um, when we first spoke about that, one of our slogans is hustle and heart is what sets us apart. So indeed, you have to hustle. This is a business. And then the heart, we actually have that as phase one in our training. Um, that let, Let's talk about the heart, what, having a heart for your business. And so for me, my love and my passion is for my team who then serves my community. And I have a fairly large size team and it's all about heart. It's about, the, these people are very precious to us. They become our heart. Uh, we want to help you self-actualize in your business for what you want to accomplish for you and your family. And that's it. So my imperfection is this, and you can ask my husband about it. <laughs> I am um, highly pragmatic. <laughs> And to the point of one might say, I may be lacking a little bit in the patience department um, because I'm a chop, chop, get her done kind of gal. So I guess being a CEO, that's, that these are good attributes to bring to that, is I like to move the ball down the lane. I have all sorts of sayings within my team of, you know, these sayings that mean let's let's get the job done you know and but i love that part and i love the part that we're a really close-knit team that we can we can move extremely fast because we've worked together for so long but i um it's it's kind of to the extent that my husband will say wait a minute Anne. You, you know sooner asks me to do that next thing i know you you're stepping in and doing it and then when I was raising the boys, he said the same thing. And I'm like, ah, I know. And with my team, I will sometimes, and it's, it, it's, I really like to get things done. I like closing the loop. So I would say of my imperfectionism, it is that just let it breathe, let it breathe in. And not so much the, uh, I do, I enjoy getting things done. So I guess that would be it. Well, it's been one of the most common virtues of impatience uh, since I started the podcast in May. So you're certainly not alone, but it segues nicely into my last leadership question. As the CEO of your company, how do you think or how do you lead to get someone out of that systematic way of thinking to allow some solace and some pause to enjoy the joy in the journey? Hmm. How do I allow that for my teammates? Um, hmm. Okay. I'll give you a, a case in point where it's our content manager and he was having a lot of angst over it with the creative process. And it was like giving him permission. He was going through a struggle. I didn't have the answers because I'm so not a graphic designer. Nope. Me, decorate a home, never. Never going to happen. I, again, I'm too pragmatic. I don't, <laughs> and I don't have the patience for it. So what I did is I said, well, I'm, I'm not the resource for you. I, I don't have the answers for you. I completely understand your angst over the branding and what you're trying to accomplish. So let, let's get a couple of people in the call that are involved you know, with the work that you do. And then it was suggested by, it was actually my ops officer to say, how about we get someone who is in the same world as you, who's also a graphic designer and that you have someone that you can talk to and, and bounce this off. So I don't know if I'm spelling that out quite well enough, but it was someone who was 
kind of stressed out, especially to the timeline. He knew he was falling behind. It's actually my son. He works full time for us. And, that's, and I know he's a super creative type. And I said, uh, just take deep breaths. It's okay. It's okay. I get it. You, you've hit this wall. Let's just step back. Let, let you talk to someone else who maybe is experiencing these kind of frustrations you are, because I, I don't know that world. I, I can't be a resource for you. And so in that case, and that's how I look at my job as CEO, it's always to give my team members the tools and equipment they need to do their job, including saying, hey, I'm sorry, but you, you really need to shut down your computer. You need to walk away. Because I have one member who works obscene hours. No, I'm telling you, you will close your laptop and you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna get out of the office, okay? Okay, and so I'm very keen on the emotional makeup of my team and when I pick up stressors in their lives. And I always, I have this um, belief that problems don't go in their own, they only get worse. So I'm very comfortable. Let's, let's go for the elephant in the room, you know, as it's called, and let's just, let's just go there. And then you resolve it and everyone's like, oh, that wasn't so bad. So it's a keenness and awareness to their energy level and where they need a reprieve. Oh, I love that. That's one of my favorite words, reprieve. And, and I think we all need them. And I think it's our role as, as heart-centered leaders to recognize when and how much. So great, great model and example. We're going to switch gears now, Anne, and I'm going to switch over to my, what I call my fab four, four fun questions. Just answer whatever's sitting on the top of your mind. Are you ready? I am ready. Question number one, what's the best thing that's happened to Anne in 2020? Well, it's going to sound... I was going to say it's COVID, um, but no, I won't do that. It was getting an offer right. And it was really a big gutsy move where the offer wasn't converting. And I thought about it and I thought about it because we had done tons of testing. I thought, you know what? I'm just going to go all out. And, you know, just I flew up my son from Mexico. I hired my copywriter to rewrite the script. I changed the offer. I mean, I pushed it to the limit. But I just, I just knew this was my moment to go, what they call balls to the wells, I'm gonna do it. And it was a winner right from day one. So it's like, yeah, that, that feeling when I can push myself to where, yeah, this is risky, all right. But it was also born out of a lot, a lot of years of experience that I kind of get comfortable when I know I can be really, you know, go all out. To me, it wasn't, it would appear risky, but I had it pretty well designed that I felt confident. So that, that would be my biggest win for this year, hands down. And what I love about that is we've talked about it a lot on the podcast. It's called intuition management. And you had that inclination from your inner genius, your, your gut, if you will. And you listen to it. And like you said, it's, it's been a winner from the get-go. So such a great example of that. So well done. My second question is, what is your favorite childhood memory? Hmm. Wow. My favorite childhood memory. I guess, like you said, top of your head. So here we go. Uh, we had a VW van. Uh, there are five kids in the family. We were off on a 
I, I think a Sunday drive. I was quite young, maybe five or six. And I was closing the window and I cut my finger. I'm, I'm holding my finger up right now. It's my right finger, pointer finger. My, I'm right-handed and there's a scar there. I cut my hand or finger and I don't really much remember anything whatsoever about the stitches of their doctor, nothing. I do remember, however, sitting with my dad and getting ice cream at those, if you're, this is back, those counter um, type uh, department stores. We're talking way back, okay? And I can still visualize it and I had to have been quite young. It was worth getting that finger cut because I got that ice cream with my dad. That's probably one of my favorite childhood memories. Oh, that's lovely. And I, I remember the ice cream counter in the department store. So I, I, I'm with you there, Anne. Okay, okay. My, uh, my third question is, what advice would you give to the 15-year-old Anne? Oh, that's a great question. Well, I homeschooled three sons. So um, self-education. Self-education is really the premium education mode. And it's how I set up my schooling, which is the belief that it's from a quote by William Yates. Learning is not the filling of a bucket. It's the lighting of a fire. So I was looking for those passions and then I would supply the fuel to light that fire for my sons. And they're very, very different. And so what I would encourage a 15-year-old is Self-education is that which you take upon yourself to learn instead of prescribed learning, regimented learning via the, you know, what the school system has prescribed for you at thus and thus age. Truth be told, your talent for learning is far, far beyond what you can possibly imagine. And I witnessed that with my three sons when I set up an environment of that nature. And most of that of self-education is the things that interest you. Well, look at what we have available to us is endless reach to the internet that you can become extremely educated on your own by resourcing through online primarily. It's amazing. And so self-education will take you very far in life and it gives you far greater control of your life. So you're not waiting for someone to prescribe to you what you ought to know. Well, I love that. And a big proponent of my education has been self. So it's, it's really comforting to hear that you've done that, Anne, and look at the success you've had. And you even homeschooled your boys, which I know a lot of parents are doing, not only with COVID, but they're just deciding to, to implement that level of self-education at home. So very, very interesting. And my last question is, what do you want your legacy to be, Anne? Hmm. What I love the most is building teams and community of people. And so it's knowing me as someone who brought them to a place where they could be supported. And there was a community, a peer, a, in my case, it's a, a business peer community relative to what we teach as e-commerce, where I created this platform for them to be able to thrive and prosper. And unlike at a level they've never experienced before as such a unique mentoring and um, supportive community that they don't just develop in a cognitive way 
for their respective industry or business, but they evolve as a person into something much bigger than they ever could have comprehended. Well, I love that. And it's always fun to build a team and, and foster such an inspiring, positive community. So well done. I want to thank you for sharing your, your time and, and expertise with us today on Imperfect, Dan. It's my pleasure. I enjoyed it thoroughly. I love to end the podcast with my list of five things that I truly believe help us live a purposeful life. Follow your heart, have passion, do your best, know your truth, and always be in love with the journey. This is Deb Crow. Thank you once again for joining me on Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast.